Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show that keeps you apprised of whether the world has ended yet. Um, I'm Kevin Barrett with Dr. E. Michael Jones. Hey, welcome, Mike. Thank you, Kevin. Good to be here. It's uh, great to be here with you again. And uh, boy, this uh, it's been a pretty crazy week between you know Ottawa and uh, Donetsk and Lugansk over in uh, that space between Russia and Ukraine, things are getting really crazy. So we're going to have a very interesting show today. But first, the obligatory disclaimers. We disclaim our questions. No, we don't disclaim our questions are good. We warn you that we're disturbing, and uh, that's just the way it is. Get as disturbed as you want, and then go see a mental health professional, which is not us. We're not medical doctors. We're not medical health professionals. Mental health professionals, we're not offering you any uh, psychiatric drugs or ivermectin, or anything like that. And if we did, you really shouldn't take our word for whether or not it works. Um, so I think that's pretty disclaimed. We're safe now. <laughs> safe as you can be, because, you know, hey, I have seen the future. A boot stomping on a human face for all eternity. But we're holding off the boot here at False Flag Weekly News, and we appreciate the people who donate to our fundraisers to help us keep holding off the boot. Okay, let's get to our actual news of this week. What do we have? Uh, Canadian truckers? Well, here's our uh, our... our PSA for the Canadian truckers at Give, Send, Go, which is a Christian fundraising site that hasn't banned them like Go F Me did. And uh, I guess you're not allowed to give money to the Freedom Convoy. And that makes me want to give money to the Freedom Convoy. How about you, Mike? Yeah, well, the uh, I think it was some the uh, finance minister uh, came out and pretty much said, if you uh, give money, you should be you should be upset. You should be worrying because the government is going to come after you. So uh, they're pulling out all the stops in Canada since the, the, the material you've sent me that last night, the police uh, swept through the truckers and. Yeah, let's look at that next slide. Look at the police uh, horses trampling little old ladies with walkers uh, in the streets. Yeah. I was just going to mention that. Now, we're, we're at a moment here that is analogous to the beginning of the Russian Revolution. Okay, now, what, what were these truckers saying? They were saying that they believe in the regime. They believe in government. They believe in representative government. They believe they have constitutional guarantees. And so they march. They go to the Winter Palace, just like the serfs in Russia. Uh, the serfs in Russia go there. If only the czar knew. All the all the czar had to do at that point was to come out and bless the Russian people, and that would have been the end of the revolution. What did he do? He sent in the Cossacks, and they trampled uh, the uh, the Russian serfs. Justin Trudeau did exactly the same thing. Yeah, I've seen all, the future. It's a horseshoe stomping on a right, little old lady's right. face for all eternity. All, all Justin Trudeau had to do was say, all he had to do was do what Boris Johnson did. The, the question the truckers could have asked him is, is this going to go on forever? Is the ma the COVID mandate going to go on forever? Well, he said, no, of course not. Okay, then when is it going to stop? Very simple. Oh, you want a month from now? How about uh, next week? All right, two weeks from now. That's all he had to do. And just as what the czar did, he turned it into a revolutionary movement. He turned a COVID protest into a revolutionary movement. All you have to do is listen to the people who were there watching the Cossacks, watching the Canadian horses trampling on grandmas with their walkers, and you know what happened. Okay. Well, we're going to get back to some more Canadian trucker coverage after the PSAs, but let's let's go to the front page headline story here, which is that Ukraine is well, it's still bubbling over and boiling, and the the, uh, the gun is smoking, the powder keg is still smoking, and the imaginary Russian invasion that we were guaranteed was going to happen last Wednesday uh, never happened. In fact, on last Tuesday, Russia pulled out a bunch of its troops. They've only got 125,000 or so troops. They would need at least 300,000 to invade, and they're nowhere near having that ability. However, what could happen here is that we saw just uh, late yesterday Donetsk and Lugansk, these two parts, you know, this, these parts of Ukraine that are dominated by Russian speakers and are constantly under fire from the Ukro Nazis who are trying to take them back in total violation of the Minsk Accords that the Yuko Nazi leadership did sign, saying that those areas get to be autonomous. Um, that's where the problem is. And there, those areas are under so much Yuko Nazi fire that the people there are having to be pulled out. 
And I think this analysis by Dmitry Orlov is uh, pretty good. In other words, obviously, Putin is not planning to invade all of Ukraine. There are just not enough Russian troops there. Why would he want to? That would be like Afghanistan, a disaster for Russia. Instead, what he might do is after these people are, are pulled out and resettled in Russia, he'll deny access to those areas to the Ukro-Nazis. So though that, those, if the Ukro-Nazi troops try to go in there, they'll just get wiped out by long-distance Russian weapons that can totally deny those provinces to the Ukro-Nazi leadership. That's what's going to happen. That's not a Russian invasion. And, and that's a, a reasonable move for Russia to make, as Dmitry Olov says. Yeah. Well, since the Russians did not invade, according to Biden's timetable, uh, they had to ratchet up the the uh, the Ukrainians had to ratchet up the uh, the game here by uh, staging false flag operations. Uh, the, yeah, let's the look at the next slide, the, ki- the kindergarten shelling that reminded us of the baby incubators in Kuwait. Right. And also uh, blowing up a, a gas pipeline and so on and so forth. These are the provocations that's supposed to lure Russia into uh, the into the Ukraine in the same way that Zabig lured the Russians into Afghanistan. Okay, and, and we should say here that our producer Alan says he still thinks the Russians will invade Ukraine. So we'll we'll see how that all all uh, plays out. But um, again, I, I don't think it's it's conceivable, and obviously the Russians don't want to do that. Instead, what they're trying to do is protect the people in uh, in the, these two provinces, Donetsk and Lugansk, and they may have to protect them by evacuating them. So here's here's the kindergarten shelling. Uh, and then the next story here is Matt Tybee pointing out that right after Wednesday passed and there was no Russian invasion, we've been assured it was going to happen Wednesday. Joe Biden told Western leaders about the February 16th date. That was last Wednesday on a call on February 11th. And uh, so here's Matt Tybee pointing out that, you know, maybe we shouldn't believe the government and the mainstream media when they assure us that the Russians are going to invade Ukraine on such and such a date. What are, are you saying? We shouldn't believe the mainstream media. <laughs> well, yeah. And that State Department guy was uh, Ned Price. In our next slide, Ned Price was uh, was outraged. He said, quote, if you doubt the credibility of the U.S. government, of the British government, of other governments and want to, you know, find solace in information that the Russians are putting out, that is for you to do. OK, that's frankly, I think the Russian sources are closer to reality than the imperial ones here. Yeah. The other thing is, uh, when you keep, you keep saying Ukro Nazis. Okay. Now I, I, understand, Nazis, I, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I understand what you're talking about. Stefan Bandera's descendants and so on and so forth. But you have to bring into the equation here the fact that the Ukrainian parliament just passed a law, uh, criminalizing anti-Semitism. And the fact that uh, Victoria Nuland uh, was part of a coup, okay, that overthrew the legitimate government because they were getting closer to Russia. Now, uh, th- let's let's think this thing through a little bit here. If it's if all right, it's now a crime to uh, be an anti-Semite, which the International Holocaust Remembrance Association defines as a certain perception. Okay, now what about the Holodomor? That is the fundamental event of the past, the past century. Uh, uh, basically, a man by the name of Lazar Kaganovich uh, uh, from the Soviet Union comes and starves the Ukrainian people to death. Uh, is it anti-Semitic to say that Lazar Kaganovich was a Jew now? Do you now, do Ukrainians now go to jail if they say that Lazar Kaganovich was a Jew? Well, it's like in Germany, we're going to talk about that story where the German dictionary is, they can't decide whether or not to get rid of the word Jew because it's pejorative. Um, these kinds of discussions are, are really reaching the point of complete absurdity. Yes, yes. There was a, a, a joke, a man gets into a cab in New York City. He says, ah, uh, to the cab driver, ah, Mr. Finkelstein, I see that you are of the Jewish persuasion. And Finkelstein says, what do you mean? I'm a Jew. Just call me a Jew. And the man says, I'm not into name calling. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So, well, we're so, not into name calling either here. We're, <laughs> we're just trying to call call out the truth. He, and... he works for Duden, by the way. That guy works for Duden. That's why he said that. I see. That's... Okay. <laughs> so, so Russia. Uh, okay. I, I don't accept 
everything that the Russians say either. Let's look at the next headline. The West has been destroyed without a shot being fired. Well, I think that's a slight exaggeration, but it is true that when Putin pulled back uh, these troops that they had uh, doing some exercises in uh, where where was it? They, they, they were doing exercises somewhere near the border and Putin pulled a few thousand out. He still got way too few to actually try to invade and occupy Ukraine. Uh, but I don't know if pulling out those troops on Tuesday and then allowing the Wednesday date to pass without invading Ukraine, as we were assured by our government and media that he would, I don't think that's completely destroyed the West without a shot being fired. The West's credibility was already nil even before this. Well, it's like declaring victory in the middle of the battle. We'll see. Time will tell. Uh, but we're, we're talking about an extremist. We're in extremis here. We're in an end game kind of scenario here where it's either going to go one way or the other. And apparently the West is not going to back down. The West cannot back down because uh, if they do, Germany is going to go with the Russian pipeline and that Germany will then join Russia, China and Iran in uniting the Eurasian landmass. And that will be the end of the American empire because the Americans Navy will not be able to blockade liquid uh, uh, natural gas uh, shipments to Germany. They will be energy independent. That will be the end of NATO and the European Union, or at least Germany as the, the commissar of the European Union. Obviously, Russia can't back down either because now you'll be the next step is uh, Ukraine is going to join NATO. And that means we will have missiles stationed in uh, uh, Ukraine that can reach Russia within seconds maybe minutes, very few minutes, and that's intolerable, too. So it's uh, the immovable, uh, the irresistible force meets the immovable object. So something's got to give. Indeed. So Putin pulled a few thousand troops out on Tuesday, and the deadline uh, of the Russian so-called attack passed on Wednesday. And then, uh, according to Anthony Blinken, uh, Putin added a few more thousand troops back uh, along the border on Thursday or whatever it was. So Blinken says, what we're seeing is no meaningful pullback. Um, hey, are we allowed to mention that Blinken, like uh, Victoria Newland, is Jewish or was that uh, illegal now, too? That's anti-Semitic. And you will go to jail now in the Ukraine if you mention that, along with mentioning uh, 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 Lazar Kaganovich. And, and you're, are you allowed to mention that the Ukrainian president is a Jewish comedian? No. Uh, Jerry Lewis or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like Jewish comedians, or some of them anyway. I mean, Jerry Lewis, he had yeah. his moments, and the Marx yeah. brothers are geniuses. But the trouble is they're not funny anymore. And the best example of that is Sarah Silverman. What do you mean the Marx brothers aren't funny anymore? The Marx brothers are still hilarious. Jewish comedians oh. aren't funny anymore. Okay. Yeah, Sarah, Sarah Silverman, or she's definitely not Groucho, uh, or even Zeppo for that matter. So anyway, the, uh, uh, Zero Hedge, uh, is, uh, spreading Russian propaganda, uh, by questioning the narrative. Okay. So before last Wednesday, if you didn't think the Russians were going to invade on Wednesday, just like the mainstream media and government told us they were, you're a Russian agent or a Russian bot or whatever you were being called. And Zero Hedge got singled out by the U.S. government for challenging this narrative and for not believing that the Russians were going to invade. So when the Russians didn't invade on Wednesday, Zero Hedge was proven right. But that doesn't matter. They're still terrorists and Russian butts. And I guess that makes us terrorists and Russian butts too, because I didn't believe the Russians were going to invade on Wednesday either. Oh, it's true. We are. This is there's a guy on the Internet who claims that I'm a KGB agent. <laughs> and uh, I keep asking the KGB to send me the check and it still hasn't arrived yet. But the reason he says this is because there's a photo of me in Mashhad. Uh, and Alexander Dugin is in the same photo. Oh, yeah. I actually I got I chatted with with Alexander Dugin. I did. I, I spoke nice with chat. him. I spoke with him, too, when I was there. But I, I, hate to, both I, agents. I hate to tell you this, Kevin, but you're a Russian agent, too, because you're in the same photo. Yeah. Well, and I actually think his 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 work is interesting, but I don't agree with him about everything, but I'm willing to talk to him and I'm willing to talk to all sorts of people. And I guess if you talk to the wrong people, listen to the wrong people or say any of the wrong things these days, you're a terrorist, a foreign agent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's getting out of control. It is. It is. Canada being the prime example of uh, being identity theft, where they are being called Nazis uh, by a, a premier who is at war with his own people. Indeed. And, yeah, it's happening all over the, the Western world. 
it seems like there's a kind of a, a war hysteria that's tied in with woke hysteria in some strange way that's uh, spreading. Uh, it's it's uh, contagious. Uh, it's a that's the real pandemic is that kind of madness. And the madness of our leadership is on display every day in every way. And one of the ways it's on display recently was the theft of three and a half billion dollars from the people of Afghanistan who are currently facing a grave humanitarian crisis that is uh, fancy speak for starving. And that 3.5 billion is going to the lawyers, and we won't mention with which ethnicity most of them probably are, who are scamming the 9-11 victims and survivors by trying to blame uh, the wrong people for 9-11 and go after them in court and pocket all of that money. Uh, Joe Biden signed an executive order uh, last Friday allowing $7 billion in Afghan central bank funds to be frozen, stealing half of it, giving it to those shyster lawyers of 9-11 victims. Uh, and over in Afghanistan, the people are taking to the streets to protest this. They gathered in front of the Grand Eidgah Mosque with makeshift cardboard signs. And, of course, the American media didn't cover that. But, hey, Sputnik did. So if we mention that, we're Russian agents. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Norman Finkelstein described this scenario here in the Holocaust industry, where basically Germany makes reparation payments every year. And the lawyers are the ones, the lawyers in these big Jewish organizations are the ones that make out like bandits. And people like Finkelstein's parents don't get any money. It's that simple. It's the same scenario, uh, uh, just uh, extrapolated to Afghanistan now. So if Shakespeare said kill all the lawyers, I guess he was calling for another Holocaust. Right. Especially, really especially since lawyer is a dog whistle for that ethnicity that you keep talking about. Yeah. yeah well, I, I, you know, I have a lot of friends who are lawyers and, uh, and of course my, my lawyer friends are, are people who sue for 9-11 truth, take a, you know, represent uh, 9-11 victims who were suing the actual perpetrators. That is people, members of the U.S. and Israeli governments above all, as well as some oligarchs like Larry Silverstein and his friends. And uh, they then get censored by or censured uh, and fined uh, and threatened by the courts for their pains. Uh, so there are some good lawyers out there of all ethnicities, um, but they need we need to get some serious legal representation for free speech activities. And a good example of that is our next story. Um, this headline is mind boggling. Anti-Semitic Muslim, quote unquote, jailed for 11 months for Facebook posts. Tara Ahmed. Uh, 51-year-old British volunteer for the Grenfell Towers survivors. So she volunteered all kinds of her time for this humanitarian cause of trying to help the people who were injured uh, or lost loved ones in those horrific infernos over in in the UK. Um, And she apparently put up some posts, uh, quite a few social media posts that suggest that she actually is quite aware of what really happened on 9-11. One of her social media posts said 9-11 was not an inside job, it was a Mossad job. Uh, And the dirty, lying, devious, such so-and-so has blamed it on the Muslims. Well, hey, I stand behind that 100%, and I've I've read dozens and dozens and dozens of books on 9-11, and I will be happy to defend that interpretation of 9-11 in court, but she's going to spend 11 months in jail. For, uh, for speaking the truth. That's because the truth is not a defense in England anymore. They instituted hate crimes legislation. There's a hanging judge there that just goes after everybody, after everybody, no matter what they say. And uh, that, 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 that's, that's the problem here. Okay, now, if you're talking about who representation here, uh, let me give you a, a page out of the Catholic book here. There was a group that was formed called the Catholic League for Religious and Civil Rights. It was supposed to be the Catholic Anti-Defamation League. And just this past week, the head of it, uh, Bill Donahue, just announced that he's giving himself a half a million dollar raise. Uh, his salary was over one million dollars a year for doing what? Uh, representing the Catholic people. What was the last thing he talked about? Well, he attacked Amnesty International for saying that the Israelis are involved in uh, criminal behavior against the Palestinians. That's the type of co-optation that takes place uh, in this whole grievance industry. Indeed. So she's spending 11 months in jail for these Facebook posts and this uh, this 
article from the British newspaper, the Daily Mail, uh, lists all of these things she posted on Facebook and virtually all of them, there are a couple of exceptions, but almost all of them are entirely truthful. She says, quote, they subject their evil to me and my people. When we criticize and point out facts, they cry anti-Semitism. Okay. Wow. That's terrible. Another of her posts read hate speech is so blatantly just a ruse to cover up the exposure of their crimes. Just like nine 11 was a ruse to get into illegal invasions of the Arab nations. Okay. Uh, she posted a lot about so-called world trade center conspiracies, which of course uh, the demolition of the towers has been proved seven ways from Sunday. She posted quote, nine 11 is the single most significant event. It was the day the world changed. The government murders its own people to have an excuse to invade the middle East. Uh, this is, so then, uh, they prosecuted her and sentenced her to 11 months in jail for those truthful statements. And she says, this is six days of taxpayers' money being spent on 12 jurors and all these barristers and judges. And for what? Something that was, that I posted five years ago on Facebook. It's absolutely preposterous. You're taking it out of context and crucifying me for it. And she adds that she has been making a distinction between normal Jews, common Jews, everyday Jewish people, and this ethnic mafia, the heads of the so-called Jewish cabal. And she does. She said she's made this distinction hundreds of times, but that's no defense. She's still going to serve 11 months. Um, you know, I, I think they, they need a real revolution in England. Let me let you in on the secret here. Truth is not a defense in these trials anymore. They've adopted the Holocaust uh, definition, which is truth is a certain perception. So if some Jew in England doesn't like what you say, you go to jail. That's that's the new that's the new rule. That's the new law. Truth is the opinion of the powerful. That is the rule that is being imposed on the entire world at this moment. And it's being imposed around many issues, including covid related issues, vaccine related issues as well. And speaking of, of that relationship between 9-11 and the uh, COVID uh, bio, bio war false flag or whatever you want to call it, Philip Zellico, the man who headed the cover-up of 9-11, is heading the cover-up of COVID. And this article from Covert Action Quarterly makes a pretty good you know, introduction to that topic. Um, and, and, uh, of course, the, the headline here, Zellico's role in the proposed COVID-19 commission raises serious doubts about its credibility is a kind of an understatement. You know, anybody who has any doubts about the fact that the, this commission has no credibility whatsoever has to be out of their mind. But it's still a good article if understated. Yeah, well, th- there may be pushback now against uh, the automatic pass that uh, Jews get to control us as commissars. And I'm talking about uh, Deborah Lipstadt, uh, confirmation as the State Department's anti-Semitic uh, fight, uh, 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 Holocaust denial, Tsarina. Uh, uh, represent- uh, Senator Johnson from Wisconsin, who also comes from the same city that Joe McCarthy came from, is probably going to now hold up her nomination because she accused him of being a white supremacist. So uh, maybe uh, these, maybe the Maybe this is a sign the tide is turning. I hope so, yeah. I'm, I like Ron Johnson more and more all the time. You know, when he first defeated Russ Feingold, I was not happy because Russ Feingold, uh, who happens to be Jewish, was actually a fairly decent guy, the one guy who voted against the pa- Patriot Act. He knows about 9-11. I gave him all of Griffin's books, and I could tell from the body language and the facial expressions that he knows, and he knows that his best friend, uh, Paul Wellstone, was another good Jewish guy. It was murdered by the 9-11 perps, and Dick Cheney in particular. Uh, so when Feingold was defeated by Ron Johnson, my first thought was, this is not such great news. I figured Ron Johnson was just another neocon. But I think I was wrong. Ron Johnson actually has a mind of his own. And uh, I, I hope he uh, he sends Deborah Lipstadt uh, back to whichever rock she crawled out from under. Um, but yeah. yeah. And he's so, also he's also uh, hosting the testimony of the COVID heretics. Uh, there, uh, a big hearing, uh, where McCullough and those people were actually uh, giving really important testimony before the, before the Senate. And he introduced legislation that would ban the medical, uh, commissions, uh, government agencies from pre- preventing doctors from treating individual patients, uh, according to their mutual decisions, which is a much needed piece of legislation these days. Um, well, speaking of 9-11 COVID, 
how about the 9-11 uh, COVID-19 bioweapon smoking gun video? I just put this out. It's a less than 20 minutes, uh, a quick interview with Ron Unz about his hypothesis about where COVID came from. Short version, it was a U.S. bioweapon strike against China and Iran. And I think the evidence for that actually is, is extremely overwhelming. And so Unz's work on this issue is comparable to Griffin's work on 9-11. And this video is going viral. It's up to 17,000 views this morning. I just put it up a couple of days ago. And hopefully, um, <laughs> I noticed that a, a, a helicopter buzzed my house just as this video started going viral. So, um, you know, maybe uh, I'm doing something right. Yeah, and I think we have to keep the big picture in mind here, uh, namely uh, the role that COVID has played in basically radicalizing large segments of the world's population, Canada being one example of truckers who just, if, if they said, uh, if Trudeau had said, okay, it's over, uh, they would have all gone back to being truckers. Now they've become revolutionaries. And let's move to the next slide. The perfect you know, illustration of what you just said was declaring Canada's first ever national emergency around this uh, this. What, what? I mean, national emergency means that the protests have to be threatening the security of Canada, the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Canada. And so what are these protests doing that, that requires a national emergency? And quote, demonstrators have erected tents, a stage, a large video screen, and even a hot tub on various streets, including Wellington Street, which runs in front of the Parliament building and the Prime Minister's office. Oh, my God, hot tubs in front of Trudeau's office. No wonder he had to declare a national emergency. Yeah, but as soon as you bring the Holocaust narrative into this, which is what he did, there was a guy with a Nazi flag standing in front of a truck. It was probably Trudeau's brother-in-law. Uh, as soon as you bring that in, it becomes a global issue and it becomes a revolutionary situation because you stole the identity. This is identity theft. You stole the identity of the Canadian people. You imposed a false identity on them as Nazis and white supremacists. And then you created the revolutionary situation. Trudeau created it, not the people. Absolutely. And so what's he doing with this national emergency? Well, he's using that as an excuse to freeze the bank accounts of people who donate to the Freedom Convoy, making, as we mentioned this earlier in the show, uh, he's forcing this broad list of entities, including banks, investment firms, credit unions, loan companies, securities dealers, fundraising platforms, insurance companies, and fraternal benefit societies to determine whether they are, quote, in possession or control of property of a person who's attending an illegal protest or providing supplies to the demonstrators. So anybody who's ever been involved in this protest or uh, given you know, 25 cents to a fundraiser for this protest, it's going to have their bank account frozen, their loans frozen, their uh, securities stolen, uh, <laughs> their insurance ended. Uh, wow. I mean, it, he's, he is creating a revolutionary situation, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, he is. And, and uh, the first reaction was a run on the bank. The Canadians rushed out to their ATM machines and tried to take all their money out of the bank. Unbelievable. But this shows you how serious he sees this situation. I mean, he is the anointed. He's the poster boy for the oligarchs. He's the young leader. He's Klaus Schwab's representative in Canada. And now he's positioning himself to be the leader of the worldwide oligarchic suppression of COVID consciousness, the consciousness, the COVID pandemic created a consciousness that didn't exist before, a consciousness of the reality of this tyrannical global attempt to destroy representative government. I, ha I was in, I tried to go to Australia. People wanted me to come to Australia uh, to fight gay marriage. Gay marriage was a revolutionary movement. It was a coup d'etat of sorts, and nobody would believe me. Well, now the, the COVID has changed all that. Now, there, I have a friend who stood up, a political rally. He stood up and said, this is an attack on representative government. And everybody stood up and cheered. And the guy he's working for to get elected was stunned. He's to, the last guy in the room to figure this out was the actual politician. This is what this has accomplished. Global consciousness of their tyrannical world order. Totally. And, and, and they look so out of touch. You know, Trudeau, uh, I guess he's, he's probably uh, really miffed that he's not being invited into that hot tub right in front of his office. You know, and uh, 
you know, and people people are starting to get upset about this whole gamut of issues. Uh, but of course, the propaganda factory keeps churning out the same consent manufacturing stuff, and some of it is kind of amusing, uh, especially if you analyze it. Our next story is uh, this Jordan Klepper. Uh, I guess he's a comedian. I'd never heard of him until I saw this story who claims that he went to visit the Freedom Convoy and found a bunch of conspiracy nuts. Uh, and this, this, you know, he, he tries to make fun of these protesters. And it reminds me of that old Randy Newman song, Rednecks, that starts out, Last night I saw Lester Maddox on a TV show with some smart-ass New York Jew. And the Jew laughed at Lester Maddox. And the audience laughed at Lester Maddox, too. Well, (laughs) in this case, Jordan Klepper is the smart-ass New York Jew who's laughing at all the ordinary folks in the streets. Well, they may get the last laugh, Jordan. Well, what's this conspiracy, Jordan? That the cops are going to come and beat them all up? That, that they're, they're going to send horses in and they're going to trample old ladies and their walkers. What's the conspiracy, fella? It's already been proven. Yeah, conspiracy fact. And, and oh, my God, some of these truckers, they actually believe there's something called the New World Order. Can you, can you believe that, Mike? I mean, wow, they're really crazy. They're proving their own conspiracy. They're, they're undermining their own narrative by their actions. And, of course, there is a little bit of mainstream coverage that is not completely insane, such as this next story pointing out that free speech is now roadkill in the crackdown on Canadian truckers. The Hill published this, and, hey, uh, this journalist had the common sense to point out that blocking streets, occupying buildings, and shutting down bridges have long been tactics of protesters. And yet, what constitutes a protest or an insurrection often seems to depend on the cause involved. And then he mentions the difference between the way BLM was covered and the way uh, the trucker protest is covered. Right. That, he has a good point. Yes, of course. But uh, uh, the other thing is the uh, uh, Trudeau mouthing off about the Indian farmers protest, saying that if he were premier of India, he'd go talk to the Indian farmers. Well, sure. If the Indian farmers if, showed if up Modi in were, Ottawa, were prime minister of Canada, he talked to the truckers. Right. He just won't talk to his own people. That's all. That's the only difference there. And BLM, well, they're they're a, a black op. No pun intended here. But I mean, they they were a creation of George Soros, uh, a docile group of uh, looters who stole the money and now are probably going to be indicted. Well, they all wore face masks while they were looting, Mike. I mean, that, that's uh, they were good citizens. That's right. That's yeah. right. As long as they're all vaccinated, wearing face masks, you know, you can get away with pretty much anything these days. So any of these phony movements will get the support of the premier because there's no threat and there's no movement. It's just a, a astroturf. It's not grassroots. That's right. And so I, I was talking a little bit in this next article for American Free Press that got published. It's kind of an expansion of what I uh, posted at my Substack a while back, uh, that the media tends to ignore these things. And then at some point they realize they can't ignore it anymore. And then they just go in all out with guns blazing, attacking it. They did this with 9-11 Truth. They did it with JFK Truth before that. Um, and, of course, they're doing this with the Canadian truckers. As the truckers started in Vancouver and took a week or so to go across Canada, there was almost no mainstream coverage whatsoever. And we could all see this coming. And so those of us in the alternative media, we were screaming about, hey, this, this is amazing. And um, mainstream just people who rely on mainstream news never even heard there was a trucker convoy, a freedom convoy. And then when it got to Ottawa and there were so many of them and it couldn't be ignored anymore, we just got all out attacked. So that pattern from silence to slander happens over and over and over with the way the media covers these things. Yeah. As soon as you rise up above a certain level, the first level is always dynamic silence. The ADL worked this out a long time ago. As soon as you get above that level, then it has to switch gears and then it has to be character assassination. So that that's clearly clearly what happened here. And they've largely gone back to silence now. The Toronto Sun, which is working with these kind of conservative party forces that want to get some political points out of this protest and, and maybe overthrow Trudeau, they published that good story about the uh, the horse trampling the little old lady. But most of the mainstream media now is totally ignoring this uh, horrific uh, Cossack crackdown on the truckers. Uh, New York Times front page today has absolutely nothing about it. Uh, most of the mainstream is now assiduously turning their heads away from that and pointing over at the Ukraine, of course. Uh, Russian invasion, Russian invasion imminent, Russian invasion imminent, like they've been screaming for the last month. Uh, so I think we're back to the silence phase uh, regarding the truckers because they don't want people to be outraged by the crackdown. Yeah, so it's a back to a contest between the two ideas of truth. Is truth going to set you free? 
Is it independent uh, of your uh, intentions or is truth the opinion of the powerful? The New York Times represents the position that truth is the opinion of the powerful. And if they don't cover it, it doesn't exist. Well, you can do that for a while and you can spend all your capital on that idea. And eventually the truth uh, is so great that it will prevail. And suddenly you've lost your position as the arbiter of reality. That's what happens when you ignore the truth. And it does seem that the official COVID narrative is crumbling uh, in many places, not just in Ottawa, also in Bakersfield, California, where they're recruiting unvaccinated deputies who are being fired from the LAPD. Uh, they're actually running ads recruiting them. And this makes me wonder, Mike, whether we're going to see some kind of de facto segregation where people flee to jurisdictions that are in line with their beliefs, like people in, you know, people in Bakersfield will will flee to the Los Angeles ghetto or something to, you know, get because that's all they'll be able to afford in Los Angeles if they're from Bakersfield uh, to to avoid the uh, Bakersfield freedom movement where people are unmasked and unvaccinated. And vice versa. So we're going to see red and blue, like, you know, these population transfers, de facto sort of eth American ethnic cleansing, uh, leading to a secession, possibly, where, you know, the group of red states that have got all these refugees from the blue states are going to secede. I mean, that's the extreme version of this. Um, but who knows? I mean, things are getting really out of control. It doesn't have to lead to secession. What you're seeing is a de, de facto transfer of power from the center to the periphery. Also in Canada, by the way, where the provincial governments are basically taking up the cause of the truckers and abandoning the vaccine mandate in the same way that states like Florida uh, abandoned uh, the, the, the vaccine mandate and caused a, basically a, a large, a significant population transfer from New York down to Florida. I think that's what's going to happen. Okay. Well, the truth keeps leaking out in the strangest ways and the strangest places about aspects of this. And one of the places it sometimes leaks out is uh, Project Veritas sends some attractive woman to interview some some government official or something, and then he spills the beans that he wasn't supposed to spill. And that just happened again as this guy, Christopher Cole, a FDA executive officer, um, said on camera about, you know, that he says, yeah, you know, they're, they're, you have to, you're going to have to get an annual COVID booster, uh, every single year. It hasn't been formally announced yet because they don't want to rile everybody up. It'll be a recurring fountain of revenue. You know, the drug companies give us, the FDA regulators, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, and, and so we're going to do this and we don't care if anybody uh, doesn't like it, basically. Uh, so that's, uh, an interesting sort of candid inside view of what's really going on in places like the FDA. It's a good example of what they call regulatory capture for these industries that give the hundreds of millions of dollars to these agencies get to call the shots. Yeah, something similar happened in California when a group of people uh, photo, uh, taped uh, a, a Planned Parenthood abortion provider um, talking about selling body parts. Uh, that was so damning that the government had to get involved. And uh, I believe it was none other than Kamala Harris, who basically railroaded these people for telling the truth. Yep. So uh, all kinds of pushback going on here, whether it's Project Veritas type activity or the you know, truckers, uh, more pushback over on the tennis court from Novak Djokovic, who said he would rather skip Wimbledon and the French Open than get a coronavirus vaccine. Well, I would rather skip Wimbledon and French, the French Open, too, than get a coronavirus vaccine. Not that I'd ever be invited to play in those tournaments. Uh, not that I would even want to watch them, not even on TV. Uh, I would definitely prefer to avoid those tournaments. And so anyway, Djokovic, uh, who I understand is a very good tennis player, um, is standing strong. And we'll see whether these other guys like Kyrie Irving, Aaron Rodgers, the other sports heroes who are standing up for uh, freedom uh, from vaccines, freedom of choice, will uh, will stand strong as well. Uh, there's a, other another development that no one this doesn't make the news, but uh uh, there are pilots uh, on the oligarchic airlines. There is a whole oligarchic airline system that never goes through the same terminals as, as the peons do go through. And uh, there are people there, the oligarchs determine, you know, where they're flying. They have a plane all by themselves if they want. And they're starting to specify they want unvaccinated pilots. 
And of course, whatever they say is the law. And so the oligarchic airline is now recruiting unvaccinated pilots because the oligarchs who fly on these planes know that the vaccinated are more likely to have clots or heart attacks or strokes uh, in the air, which is we're already susceptible to this type of thing. And they don't want to go down with the plane uh, for their own uh, oligarchic narrative. They don't want to be a martyr to their own oligarchic narrative. But wait a minute, Mike. Let's look at this next slide. The next slide tells us that you don't have to worry about your vaxxed pilot having a heart attack or anything. It's not a heart attack. It's broken heart syndrome. Uh, and this is, this is unbelievable, right? So people are all, all sorts of younger people these days are ha- suddenly having heart problems. And we're told, well, first we were told like several months ago that it was pandemic induced PTSD which, of course, has never been seen before. But, hey, it's a way to explain all of these heart problems. Well, now it turns out that it wasn't pandemic-induced PTSD. It's broken heart syndrome. That is, you get vaxxed, you learn they lied to you, and it breaks your heart. No, no, seriously, what the story tells us is the mechanism of broken heart syndrome is not definite, but it's a postulated mechanism that when someone goes through a big stressor in life, their hormonal activity, their their nerve hormones are so ramped up that they almost cause a toxic injury to the heart. So that's a medical doctor. <laughs> I think he's kind of uh, speculating here. So, so Mike, are you worried that if you fly on a non-oligarch airline that your pilot might suddenly suffer from broken heart syndrome? Broken heart. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, this is, there was an interesting uh, regulatory capture film. It was not, it was known as a Hollywood film. It was called Side Effects. And it was about, uh, Basically, uh, suppose starts off SSRIs like Prozac drive you crazy uh, and uh, makes the woman stab her husband because she's taking SSRIs. Well, that's plausible. There are violent episodes. Associated. Oh, wait a minute. No, that's not the cause. It's she was a lesbian. That's why she killed her husband. Although it's probably she, she was crazy not to stab her husband all those years. And so she took the pill and it, it cured her. She did, did the, the same thing. It's just one more f- fantasy generated by big pharma money to justify the status quo. Indeed. Well, you know, we just have to trust the science, don't we? That's what uh, Alex Berenson uh, points out sardonically in this great post. It starts out, even though the world has not had a major respiratory disease epidemic in almost a century, just insist one is coming soon. And we have to swab every bat in China to figure out what will co- what virus will cause it. And then step two, when you can't find viruses capable of causing it, start making them more dangerous in the lab. Uh, yeah. Uh, so... You know, Alex Berenson apparently hasn't figured out the Ron Unz version of how COVID started, which is the most plausible one. But I think he's onto something here. There was all sorts of foreknowledge. And uh, anybody who trusts the science, I mean, trusting the those who were behind this is out of their mind. OK, if that's true, what is to prevent the same people from unleashing something else now? No kidding. Something even worse. Well, that's why we should we should have brought them to justice for nine eleven, and we probably wouldn't have a. Well, every time you post, every time you postpone this, every time you punt and kick it down the road, something worse comes along because these people get drunk with power and they think they can do anything. So what? What's what if the next one is the Black Death, or or a hemorrhagic virus, or Ebola, or something like that? What is to prevent the same people from doing something worse the next time? That's right. Well, you know, you, you could also have like a, a Russian or Iranian or Chinese drone that could spread something really nasty over the Super Bowl. You know, everybody kind of expecting these Super Bowl disaster films. Someday there's going to be a disastrous Super Bowl. Well, thank goodness. Once again, this year we got through the Super Bowl. I call it the Duper Bowl. Uh, it's our move to our next slide here without anything like that happening. However, the real disaster, of course, is the ads. And the uh, duper's delight being explained in the duper bowl ads is really over the top here. Uh, and we've got these two articles, uh, two of the maybe the best reads this week. The uh, first one was from defector.com, which I had didn't know about. And it analyzes a Facebook meta ad that is basically telling us uh, everything you have and everything you care about will be taken from you by forces beyond your control. You will be surplus to requirements, first fungible and ridiculous, and then literally disposable. You will lose everything, and uh, but you'll end up in the 
Facebook slash Meta Matrix universe, uh, which is basically a haunted space station overrun by goblins and skunks, or should we say the avatars of goblins and skunks? So anyway, that ad is just unbelievable. I mean, they're just rubbing our face in it. You will lose everything and be happy. Well, <laughs> I don't know about the be happy part. Uh, so, so Mike, uh, did, did you agree with me that this is a really good analysis of an just over the top duper's delight ridden Super Bowl ad? So what is the purpose of this ad? Is it <laughs> they're rubbing their noses in it. They're saying, they're to, saying, well, to yeah. get us to, to get us to subscribe to Facebook or, or what? What, why, what rational purpose could this have other than what you're saying? Other than saying we Facebook are the, are the enforcers. We're commissars of the oligarchs and you will love your servitude. Is that the point? It's, they're not even disguising it. That's what's so bizarre about it well why, I guess, are, why are you doing why are they doing this what is the what possible motivation could they have for doing this well I, I think maybe the people sitting watching the super bowl trying you know making guacamole out of their avocados from mexico are like so busy eating their their chips and guacamole that they're really not closely watching much less really thinking about the super bowl ad. so this functions as subliminal propaganda the the, the you know the guy who's sho- shoving guacamole in his face and talking to his friends and stuff and not really paying attention to the ad, it's still going into his unconscious mind. And so he's being told, uh, you know, you will be surplus to requirements. Uh, You will lose everything. And the unconscious mind might actually accept that as sort of a post-hypnotic suggestion. Yeah, I understand that from that point of view. But what about from the point of view of the people who actually spilled the beans here? Aren't they spilling the beans? What is their motivation? I I think there's only one motivation here, and it's guilt. (laughs) Okay. Why does why does why does the criminal return to the scene of the crime? Or to give you a more highbrow version of this, what about since I'm a literary guy, what about the scarlet letter? Why does Dimsdale feel the need to rip open his jacket and expose his chest uh, in the middle of the night? Why does he do this? Because guilt is intolerable. There's no, but maybe, maybe that's why you take Prozac. Maybe that's why you drink to anesthetize your conscience, but it doesn't go away. So I think that must be the prime motivation here. So, so in our next slide, then, Mike, I suppose you would hypothesize that Klaus Schwab is staring in this, starring in this GM ad uh, as Dr. Evil, uh, cackling about, hee hee hee. So we're going to save the world. And then I'll take over the world. <laughs> so, so he's he's admitting to us what he's doing because he feels guilty about it. Why do why do uh, why do we have gay pride demonstrations? Does anyone seriously believe that these people are prevented from doing whatever they want to do? You're, you're telling me they're, they're actually gay guilt demonstrations? I, of course, I've never of seen course these, they are. No, no, no. People in like a leather jockstrap carrying a sign saying. Gay guilt, you know, no. guilty to be gay. I've never seen that. No, of course they're not going to carry a sign saying that, but that's the whole point of the protest. You are you are engaged in activity that will cause guilt. There's no question about it. So how do you anesthetize guilt? By, by being shameless in public. That's how you anesthetize guilt. Same thing applies to abortion. Women who feel guilty, you have to feel guilt over abortion. You killed your own child. How do you deal with that? You can repent, okay, or you can mobilize with other women and march in public and be shameless about it because there's because misery loves company. So if you're Klaus Schwab and you're acting like Dr. Evil, uh, trying to take over the world, uh, creating leaders like Trudeau and, and, and Merkel and uh, and so on, then, you know, you uh, you assuage your guilt by basically coming out and confessing in public, which is what this Super Bowl ad seems to be doing. Uh, so, so they're, I don't know, I still think it's, it's maybe Duper's Delight or the uh, revelation of the method, but your theory might have something to it, Mike. I, I call it the Dimsdale syndrome. The Dimsdale syndrome. Okay. Well, we'll we'll have to leave it there and see what more confessions from these evildoers we uh, run into. Meanwhile, uh, speaking of Doctor Evil, uh, who is Doctor Evil? Well, maybe Doctor Evil is uh, the Zionist entity, and they're sir acting like it. Uh, now they're going back to these just blatant assassinations. Here's. You know, a couple of guys driving through the streets of Nablus and Israeli security forces uh, with Palestinian plates uh, just shoot them. They're three guys. Shoot, they shoot them all down in cold blood. 
uh, quote unquote, leaving local residents to deal with the gruesome fallout of the assault, bullet holes in everybody's houses and stuff of by only by the grace of God weren't even more people killed. And this was the culmination of repeated death threats. Uh, all of the massive gunfire came from only Israeli positions. So there was nobody shooting back or anything like that. Uh, and, and Ronan Bergman's book on Israeli assassinations is, is a must for people who want to understand this kind of behavior. So maybe the Israelis, um, feel guilty about this stuff, but I think they're well, guilty to them to more evil. Wait a minute. What do you mean? Maybe. Why did you say maybe? Are you, are you insinuating that these Israelis are not human beings? When human beings, when human beings do wrong, they experience guilt because that's what, that's the way God created them. So the, that's, that's a given. You, you do wrong, you will feel guilt. Now the question is, how do you deal with guilt once you feel it? Now the Israelis, if you go back 2000 years, they had a temple. They had a temple and they had animal sacrifice and that was the way they expiated guilt. They haven't had that for 2,000 years. So unless you're saying the Jews have not committed any sins in 2,000 years, you're talking about the massive buildup of guilt for actions like the one you just described. Now, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that if you're a Jew? You project it onto the victim, which is exactly what they do in Palestine. And speaking of uh, Zionist guilt, I wonder if they feel guilty about taking over, let's say, the United States uh, do, and doing things like killing President Kennedy, killing his brother, uh, blowing up the Twin Towers, murdering 3,000 people on 9-11, as uh, USS Liberty is another example. Uh, all of, you know, These are just the over-the-top extreme examples, but this takeover of the United States has been just uh, shameless. And now we have Nancy Pelosi uh, basically reading with a gun to her head that the uh, last century's greatest political achievement was the creation of the state of Israel in 1948. So Pelosi having to state this is proof that Jewish power doesn't exist. And and standing beside her as she spoke uh, these words was Knesset speaker Michael Michael uh, Levy, uh, who might as well have been just holding her on a leash. So what happened in 1948? Uh, the Nakba or the, uh, right. the beginning of the genocide of Palestine. Okay, what else happened in 1948? You had the beginning of the Holocaust narrative as a way of transferring guilt to the victim. And so the more guilt that got accrued uh, among the Palestinians, it's not the only Jewish guilt, but certainly it is Jewish guilt, the more guilt that got accrued there, the more the Holocaust narrative got promoted. Well, no wonder there's a, that there's a car, there's a yeah. correlation between these two things. And there's a correlation between all of that. And uh, of course, this story from Occupied Palestine and the next story, which is that a German dictionary keeps changing and then changing back their definition of the word Jew. Now, the word Jew in German is Jude. No, uh, no, no. Wait. Jude. Jude. Okay. Jude. Well, I thought it was like, hey, Jude, don't hey, make Yuda. it bad. Take a bad <laughs> word and make it better. I don't know if they made it that much better, but they're, they're claiming <laughs> that, uh, it's neither a swear word nor discriminatory, which is what the original German dictionary ent ent entry said that the word Jew is a bad word and it's a swear word and it's discriminatory. Don't ever say the word Jew. And now the Jews are all saying, <laughs> what do you mean don't say the word Jew? I'm a Jew. <laughs> right. Like the story I told you about the cab driver. So yeah. the, the, the point here is that uh, the Germans have to go out of their way to be uh, more Jewish than the Jews. The, you know, you've heard the expression more Catholic than the Pope. Hmm. Well, the, the Germans are more Jewish than the Jews. It does and this is the way they prove it. It seems that way. Because of the guilt that was imposed on them uh, via the Holocaust narrative. That's the whole point of what we're talking about here. The German people were the underwent the most ruthless social engineering in human history because the technology hadn't been available then, and they internalized the commands of their oppressors, and this is an expression of that fact. So they keep changing the definition of Jew in their dictionary back and forth, trying to suit what they think is the uh, wishes of their Jewish overlords, and they never quite get it right. They keep having to change no, it back. No, <laughs> you no, because, because the, subtle, the, the subtle point here is that Germans are in control of their own language. 
And that's not true. You're not allowed to have control over your own language, even when it comes to the word Jew, even when you're being totally sycophantic and, and licking the boots of the people who hate you. You don't have control over your language. The Jews have control over your language. So get it straight, a dudin, fellas. Okay, well, more proof that Jewish power doesn't exist. Uh, in our next slide, a man has been arrested for leaving, quote-unquote, annoying voicemails at a New Hampshire synagogue phone. Um, his annoying vo voicemails protested the Israeli ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. Um, and this story begins, Jews can worldwide can rest a little easier today with the arrest and arraignment of a young New Hampshire man who allegedly left three annoying anti-Israel voice messages with the local synagogue. Oh, my goodness, three voice me <laughs> messages. That, I hope he'll be locked up for life. Obviously an anti-Semite. Well, that's the mission creep here is now that any now anytime you criticize Israel, you're an anti-Semite. Wasn't that in dispute for a long time? I mean, it wasn't that sort of, no, no, it's not that way. Uh, and now it turns out it is that way. If you have no power, for example, which obviously this person has no power, okay? So truth is the opinion of the powerful, and whatever you say, it doesn't matter. You have no rights, period. Because this narrative we just talked about trumps all rights. Trumps all rights. You know, I, I wonder, if, if I called up a synagogue, and said, hi, you know, I, I'm a journalist. Uh, I'd like to talk with somebody from your synagogue about the genocide of Palestine. And, you know, they never get back to me. So I call and leave another voicemail. I, I end up leaving three such voicemails. Would I end up, like, going to jail? Time will tell. Try it out, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Don't just talk about it. Do it. But I'd, I'd like to bring up another story that's not in the news. A Polish priest has now been indicted for hate speech uh, because he wrote an article criticizing homosexuals. He was indicted at the instigation of a Catholic priest who is a homosexual. So I don't want to jump to conclusions, but there's a picture on the internet of him kissing another man on the lips. So I'm, I'm making a stab at it here. Now, this is uh, going to be a crucial trial because it's going to put on you know, the German judiciary is going to have to choose here between paragraph 130, which says Volksverhetzung or incitement is a crime, and the basic constitution, which says you have a right to free speech. This is precisely what's going to happen, where now Jewish privilege is going to be extended to homosexuals because homosexuals are not, sexual orientation is not mentioned in that paragraph 130 at all. It came into existence in the 90s to combat what they were calling Holocaust denial. Well, you know, these the spurious links between, you know, the, between people of the Jewish persuasion and sexual deviance that, you know, people like you have been drawing, Mike, are very, very offensive. And our next slide shows that there's absolutely no truth whatsoever to them. The America's biggest uh, Jewish newspaper, The Daily Forward, has as its front page headline story, this promotional puff piece about a sex with Hitler video game. It's obviously trying to stir up the audience, which is mostly a Jewish audience, to get all hot and bothered for a sex with Hitler video game. Now, there's something strange going on here, isn't there? Yeah, well, the Holocaust is a sexual fantasy. Now, this happened in Israel long before. In the 1950s, there were comic books about sex and concentration camps. It goes all the way back to the beginning. Okay, a guy named Borofsky sends a welcome, something like welcome to the gas chambers, lady and gentlemen. He's a Pole who was in uh, Auschwitz and wrote a short story in which he talks about how the uh, concentration camp was an assault on modesty because the, all the women had to take off their clothes. Uh, that trope dominated the Holocaust narrative for decades after that. The, the prime example of that was the uh, movie The Pawnbroker. A very important film because it broke the production code. This is the way the Jews broke the power of Catholics in Hollywood uh, because it was a Holocaust film that showed uh, naked women. So this this trope of sex and the concentration camp has been uh, an Israeli uh, Jewish fantasy for a long time. This is not new. That's a pretty strange fantasy. Uh, well, well, there are a lot of strange fantasies out there, including taking over the world through uh, power over financial institutions, which is what the banksters, who are not certainly all of the same ethnicity, are doing. Ellen Brown tells us that uh, the economy is about to implode and it doesn't need to. She says that 
basically the inflation problem today is triggered not by too much money, but by too little supply due to lockdowns and mandates. And the Fed could restock consumer supplies using tools in its toolbox, which are basically loaning money for hands-on Main Street businesses rather than pumping all the money through the oligarchs network. And they just kind of hang on to it and invest it in the Wall Street casino. I mean, obviously, she does have a point. Yeah, but it doesn't get to the root of the problem, which is debt. Debt is the problem. Mm -hmm. Debt is a sovereign debt is unrepayable. It is always unrepayable because it goes on to the point where a geometric the geometric progression is always there suddenly kicks in and the curve just shoots through the roof. And at that point, the debt becomes unrepayable. And at that point, you just have to crash the economy and start all over again. So it's systemic. And that's the issue that has to be dealt with. Are you telling us that when God banned usury, that that was actually a good idea? Of course it was. And, okay. and, and, and the, both, both the Catholic Church and the Muslim world agree that usury is sinful, but both of those groups make accommodations that basically undercut the force of their, their uh, prohibition. Yep. And uh, that's uh, the world we live in today is a world where these uh, these uh, holy uh, institutions uh, have largely been neutered. And we're seeing a total takeover of the world by the finance sector operating on uh, usury uh, and compound interest. And another example of that was the uh, buy up of of the housing sector that's going on even as we speak. Uh, It's getting worse and worse. 2021 was the worst year yet. It's probably even worse this year. And uh, people want more details on this. They could listen to my interview with Michael Hudson. He says that housing prices are never going to come down to where people could actually afford housing because it's being bought up by these uh, these speculators operating on usury funny money. And they're going to just keep gouging people until they're pretty much out in the streets. Yeah. So can you compete against BlackRock? Uh, If you're bidding on the house down the street, can you complete compete against BlackRock? No. The answer is they can always outbid you, which will always drive up the price of housing stock, which is uh, limited. It's finite, just like uh, land is limited and finite. So if you have this enormous amount of money chasing after a finite uh, commodity, uh, the price is going to go up. It's that simple. So. We're not supposed to notice, though, how they are stealing everything from us, as those Super Bowl ads promised they would. Uh, all we're supposed to do is fight about things like racism and identity politics. Uh, and here's an article uh, that I, I think uh, from Tom Hartman that actually kind of is more symptomatic of the problem uh, than not. Uh, he's arguing that the whole Republican base, the, especially you know, the Trump demographic and so on, is united by their belief in white racial superiority. Well, you know, I, I just interviewed Michelle Malkin, the notorious Fox News host that was uh, viciously attacking me back in 2006 for my stance on 9-11. And so she apologized to me, but she still sort of represents uh, a uh, sort of a uh, backlash uh, among white people, even though she's not white, to the accusations of racism and the so-called reverse discrimination and so on and so forth. So I, I think these banksters want us to be fighting about this stuff so we don't notice that they're picking our pockets. Right. This is identity theft. You've got people who, uh, like the Trump rally in South Bend, Indiana, who were the marginalized people, the people who are not earning a decent wage, who are sometimes considered evangelicals, uh, but this time they put economic interests first. And that's, they all cheered when Trump criticized carrier air conditioning, uh, moving its plant to Mexico. What's that got to do with white supremacy? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. This is an economic issue. I did the same thing that phony Muslim in uh, St. Louis tried to play this card about the statue, accused the people at the statue who wanted to preserve the statue of St. Louis in St. Louis of being white supremacists. Well, what were they doing? They were praying the rosary. Is this something white supremacists do? No, they were Catholics. And the whole point of these campaigns, including Trudeau's campaign against his own people, is to impose a false identity on them. And the prime false identity, white supremacy, anti-Semitism, the whole thing. And if you're scratching your head over Biden's new appointment to the Department of Energy being a quote-unquote non-binary drag queen, then you're probably a white supremacist, too. 
um, this guy, Sam guy, I don't know what I'm supposed to say this, this, uh, whatever, Sam Brinton, uh, who may be quote unquote, the first openly gender fluid person hired into federal government leadership, which is actually kind of ridiculous because I mean, everybody is a little bit gender fluid, but yet we are either male or female, uh, no ifs, ands, or buts, except for a very tiny minority of people who were born as hermaphrodites. But that's another case. In any case, this, Individual, I'm not sure which pronoun to use, he, she, or it, has a specialty in disposing of nuclear waste, apparently by eating it. I mean, it kind of looks that way. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're kind of asking for it when they make these kind of appointments, uh, and they're distracting us from the real important problems in the world. Or is this symptomatic of cultural decline or all of the above? Yeah, what, what, is the, what are we telling? What is this man telling us? He's the slave of unnatural passions. He can't control himself. He's he, he, he's he's totally capitulated in the moral struggle that we all have to go through. And so he he's docile and can be easily controlled by the manipulation of his passions. And that's why they hired him. They don't want anybody who can think independently, who is rational or can represent the interests of the people or something like that. No, this is what they're saying. We will hire docile slaves of their passions and you have you can't stop us. You know, I, I used to like people like this better back when they were weird. Now we're relentlessly hammered by the media and the opinion makers to say, no, no, these people aren't weird. They're totally normal and they, they should all be getting married with each other and, and, you know, adopting children out of test tubes and blah, blah, blah. They have to be very, very normal. No, you know, weird people used to be allowed to be weird. I wrote the weird tour guide to San Francisco, Dr. Weird's Weird Tours back in 1994, back when weird people could be weird. And were they ever weird in San Francisco? And that was okay with me. But now that weird people are being forced to be normal at gunpoint, I think the world is going completely crazy. But I guess that just makes me weird. Well, the only guy, the only reason we know about this guy is because he's weird. So to say he's normal. <laughs> You're not allowed to say he's weird anymore. <laughs> If he were normal, no one would pay any attention to him. And he this probably is, wouldn't get the job is, disposing of nuclear waste. This is like like Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg committed identity theft of himself because if he didn't come out as a homosexual, he'd be a white guy. A white guy who's a mayor of South Bend, Indiana, where's that going to go? That goes nowhere. So he perpetrated identity theft on himself as a career move. Hmm. Well, you know, Mike, maybe we could actually, you know, get more views if we started identifying as like space aliens or something like that, because, you know, we're, I think we're, 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 we're too normal. You know, conspiracy theorists are supposed to look weird, you know? So, so maybe next time you come on next month, we can both like dress up as uh, something really, really strange and entertain our, our following. And then we can insist that nobody call us weird or else you'll be deplatformed and chased out of public life. Right. Great idea. Kevin. Another great idea. Uh, you go first. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to think about it. And so if you see me next week dressed up really strange, you'll know that I thought about it a little too much. Well, thank you so much, Dr. E. Michael Jones. Always great to do the show with you. Appreciate your fantastic work at culturewars.com. Keep it up. Thank you, Kevin. Okay. And see you all next time and see our viewers uh, next week. Inshallah. Take care. Have a good week.